Welcome to the January CCA podcast, coming to you via Sunny Govern FM and with your host, Gareth K. Vile. As always, it's a busy month and the four guests from an artistic duo, Bambitchel, through the Govern Community Project to the familiar CCA faces, represent the range of events, or at least a fraction of them, happening both in and beyond the Socky Hall Street venue. First of all, one of our curatorial team explains both the Cooking Pot programme and the CCA's engagement with wider communities, providing the perfect introduction to our guests from the GCP, Paul from Saramago, who will be talking about the CCA's distinctive cafe restaurant and its engagement with music and visual arts. And we conclude with a highly technical interview using Skype, crossing continents and genres and history itself, Bam Bitchell coming from Canada and Glasgow. For my first guest today, I'm delighted to have somebody who is a very familiar face around the building, the public engagement curator, Viviana. Welcome. I think you're going to be talking about two things today, but first of all, can I ask you about Cooking Pot? What is Cooking Pot? Of course. um, Cooking Pot is a program we have been running since 2015. Um, It's a very interesting format, I believe. Um, We never really had pot of funding connected with that. So it's based on an alternative economy of everybody that from other organizations or members of the communities, individuals, collectives can contribute with their own resources. And therefore is like a sort of gift bank where we are trying to exchange what we have um, and survive. The idea of the cooking pot was generated by an observation that I had conducted in 2015 Uh, noticing that lots of people um, in either formal or informal meetings would refer to food as something that is really important within the Glaswegian culture. And they wanted to share their experience with me. They wanted to speak more about dietary requirements for different events or their daily routine. And I thought that it was quite interesting to see how people were into food in different ways. I also wanted to acknowledge something that was created uh, up until 2014 by uh, the director of CCA, Francis McKee. It was a collaboration project with uh, Drum Chapel in which uh, a flat pack meal was created. Um, so basically a pack where you would have the sufficient ingredient to make a soup or a main course, and that would somehow be a catalyst for many different people around the community of Drum Chapel and farther afield to reconnect with food making. Mm-hmm. And this project was very successful. Uh, it spread around the city. It was then adopted by other community, communities rather than Drum Chapel only. And I thought it was important to follow that trajectory and to acknowledge that food was something really relevant for CCA, for CCA communities, for the institution. Partially it was that, the observation, and also this political act of not erasing what had been done in the past and trying to carry on with the same sort of legacy, but also was connected with my personal background. I'm Italian, Uh, made in Italy for us is an obsession. Food is also quite an obsession. I'm not a strong fan of Italian food, it's not my favorite food, Uh, but nevertheless I always try to question uh, the connection that we have between food and nationality and how the food represents us. So I start to question what is made in Scotland and what is Scottish food and started to notice that uh, people would answer with very basic, basic things like tatties or uh, salmon or haggis. And then I thought that, mm, I don't think that's true. It can't be... It can correspond to reality. Uh, this is one of the most important dispersal cities of all the UK. You have migrant communities from all over and uh, a vast community of asylum claimants and refugees and they have their own food and they are sheltering cooking their own food. So I thought it was important to engage with food as a social tool for multiculturalism and for us to learn about the different cultures that are present in Scotland. So that was... I would say, the motivator for the project. It seems to fit very well in with the CCA's general principles of engaging with wider communities, but also challenging ideas and, and not just simply accepting the idea that, say, haggis is the national food of Scotland and getting that sense of multiculturalism and the people that come into the building from all different communities and cultures. So that, that seems to fit in very nicely. And then food as well being this this fundamental thing that people share. I think that's one thing we can say with some degree of safety is that everybody pretty much eats. So 
you've got that as well. And does this manifest as a series of events as well as conversations? Yes. Um, so the cooking part then takes multiple forms. This is really interesting because I believe that part of the nature and profile of the program was shaped uh, by an initial collaboration that I had with the communication department, uh, where um, our uh, communication manager, Julie Kafkart, um, proposed to deliver an um, interview uh, with one of the local newspapers uh, so that I would declare quite frankly and openly that uh, even though it is a project that is created within CCA, it doesn't have to happen at CCA. It's a way to experience creativity and art in different ways, and everybody is welcome, and anybody can propose whatever it is that they believe is a food experience. It doesn't have to be a cooking experience. It doesn't have to include food as the primary sources. It can be the screening of a film, or it can be just a brainstorming, a discussion about the technology of food. Um, it can be more connected with the policies that we have at the moment, either Scottish policies or European policies that are controlling the food. Um, so it could be about training, import-export, it could be anything that you can imagine that is connected with what is that you get in the supermarkets and on your table. And that interview was really important uh, for the message to be spread around. Um, after that interview, we got so many different emails and calls of people that wanted to be part of it. Uh, and then somehow the shape of the project generated directly from them. Uh, and it changes every time. So, so far we hosted workshops, uh, for instance, the carving spoon workshops or workshops uh, to learn how to make baklava. Uh, or gnocchi workshops, um, as well as we hosted screenings about wine or about beer, uh, or screenings that were connected with community engagement projects. Um, and we also had walks around the city and foraging workshops. Um, and we had some trips organized in order to learn more about the multiculturalism around Scotland, not only Glasgow. So as you can see, there are many different ways in which people can either be part as a participants or as a contributor or as just like a member of the general public in any of the events of mm. the cooking pot. It's wonderfully appropriate with the CCA's strategy of being open source in terms of its programming that this program adds to that as well because people are coming up with ideas and the diversity. I didn't realise that you were doing so many different things and as you say it's the creativity but also there's quite a strong political edge to that as well. It, it is questioning the means of production, the means of distribution and those things as well as engaging people with well, skill sets really of how to make a baklava. I'm really sorry I actually missed that one. I would love to be able to do that as well. Is there anything coming up in the next couple of months that's specific to the project? So uh, next months have actually been programmed by our current assistant curator, Sabrina Henry. And uh, the main uh, focus is rituals. Um, we tried to link it also with the previous focus, uh, so the one that is ongoing now mm -hmm. in November, December, which was about herbs. Uh, and rituals are really, I think, at the core of Sabrina's attention at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, it was also interesting to see how someone else in the team would adopt uh, the program and make it more theirs. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really looking forward to witness some of these events. Um, uh, there will be things connected with bread and making pasta as well as uh, coffee and the different sort of traditions around coffee and rituals around coffee that we can witness in the world. Um, so it's, it's also for me always interesting to see how is that the project and the program is uh, shaping mm -hmm. depending on the sorts of people that we uh, invite or sometimes we receive proposals from. Mm -hmm. It seems as well that when we're talking about bread and pasta as well, it's a very accessible point, really. I think that's another thing about the entire project. It's not something that sometimes we can see contemporary visual art or the programming. It's, it's quite a challenge. I think when we get into the spaces, a lot of the time they're very accessible and they speak directly to people. But this is something that even in the first moment, even the name Cooking Pot is welcoming and inclusive. And, and, and that was obviously an important part of what you were doing. But at the same time, it's challenging that. Absolutely. So I would say it's accessible. 
but I wouldn't say is simplistic. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a level of complexity in everything that has been delivered so far within the cooking pot. Um, we also hosted, for instance, in the past, a commission with the help of the Getty Institute here in Glasgow. In that occasion, we worked with a German artist called Catherine Bohm. I'm sure I mispronounced the name because my German is not that good. Uh, but in that case, we were investigating the legacy of soft drinks in Glasgow. Uh, so the stories of the Scott Cola or the Iron Brew. Mm. Uh, and we connected directly with neighborhoods sometimes like Bridgeton and Carlton and Parkhead. Um, and women were involved uh, to make some cordials and juice um, and then to redistribute it with a different way of selling it, meaning that we had the stall, we went to the Bridge, uh, Bridgeton market, I was one of the shop assistants in, in that case, <laughs> and then we were selling uh, with a pay what you can sort of deal, and even that was quite difficult for people to relate with. Um, so you can sometimes understand that even in the, in the most simple decision that you take on a political level in a project, being part of something called the art world, where you are convinced that pay what you can is just the normal thing and everybody would relate to that. All of a sudden you offer that to a more general public and people start to question what you really mean and actually they feel quite uncomfortable mm -hmm. with that concept. So as you can see, like through Cooking Pot we are discovering lots of different issues that mm -hmm. can reveal um, social political approaches and different problems within Glasgow as well. Which is really an important part of what art is supposed to do. So it's wonderful that you take it outside of the building, you're engaging with different communities, and you're finding these challenges and hopefully finding ways around them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, th this, this brings me rather nicely, the Govan Community Project coming in later on to talk. How, how did Govan Community Project get involved with the CCA? How did they end up working with the building? Oh, wow. Do you really want to know that? It's quite a long story. I'll sit back and I'll listen. That's great. That'd be good. First of all, I come from um, a region in Italy called Puglia, or Apulia, uh, which is the second uh, arbor for um, arrival of the newcomers. This is how we would call them. So asylum claimants and refugees, migrants. Uh, I always had this uh, strong interest in migrations and issues connected with uh, freedom of mobility, and I developed many projects on the topic. And then when I moved to Scotland in 2015, I discovered that this is quite a strong, strong issue for the country. Um, I initially contacted the Refugee Council and the Refugee uh, Festival and also the Integration Networks. Um, at that time, Mary Hill Integration Network, uh, now Govan Community Project. But I only wanted to have an organic conversation and understand if there was scope for our collaboration. And when the moment was actually appropriate, maybe, I would try to propose something. In 2017, with the collaboration of the director Francis McKee and former curator Ansley Roddick, we created a project called The House That Heals the Soul. That was an exhibition in which we were questioning the disappearance of libraries and the relevance of publications and books. It was also an occasion for us to actually put at the disposal of the public, the publication studio, which is a hub where people can make books together. I thought that I had an hypothesis in my mind. Maybe the biggest, most popular users of libraries nowadays are asylum claimants because the easel classes sometimes are taking a place there because sometimes it's a place where they can use facilities, computers or other things that are offered by the libraries. And so I met with Owen Fenn who used to be the head of the charity at Govan Community Project, and um, just asked him, do you think it's worth thinking that this is actually not just an hypothesis, but the reality? And he said, yes, I would say they, they really use the library as a facility. So I asked him if we could approach the group in a different way, instead of targeting them as refugees and asylum claimants doing a project with CCA, if there could be an open call about library users and book lovers, and whoever within uh, their network could actually participate in our activities. 
and so we did, and we recruited 18 human beings, uh, women, men, and some teenagers. Uh, they worked together on an open-ended project in which they decided together to create a book. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that project, uh, we did a brainstorming with the help of visual moderator Alice uh, Dancy-Wright. And through that brainstorming, we ended up discovering that they wanted to carry on, and they wanted to focus on herbs, health and well-being, food, all seen through the arts. They were interested in how they are represented in the arts, how it is that arts are actually dealing with the presence of food, not just on a canvas, but maybe when more community engagement projects, things like that. So this is how the project was generated, uh, directly from the ideas of the group. They didn't think only of the focus, the concept, but also of the logistic of it. So they imagined that their status will change in Scotland, and they would rapidly move from asylum claimants to refugees, hopefully. Therefore, they wanted the group to change, and they started to use the word committee, so that they would have a committee that would change every six months, and the project would actually be there and uh, alive for at least two years. And uh, every now and then they would have some events, and these events would be public, uh, they would be dinners potentially, or other convivial events in which more and more people can learn what they have been learning together. So I had an ambition, I wanted to test if it was possible to operate in a different way different way. So rather than an institution getting some money and having to accomplish the priorities that are decided by the funders, how is that we can try to pitch <laughs> this idea to someone saying, can we test if it is possible to create a project that doesn't come from us, from the curators and the director of the institution, but it comes directly from community intentions. And therefore, perhaps is going to create a different atmosphere and different results. So we tried, we applied for a, a specific strategy of Paul Emlin Foundation called Explore and Test, and we actually got supported. And we got the funding, we got more than we requested, uh, because they would like to invest some of the money in evaluation so that we can really make a point if there is a difference, starting from the dynamic of engagement with the community, the dynamic of writing the project, the dynamic of generating the ideas from the stakeholders, meaning the beneficiaries at the same time. Well, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the latest stage of that later on. And thank you so much for that. It's really exciting to hear about Cooking Pot. And it's a beautiful segue into my next guests who can tell us a little bit more about how Govan Community Project have engaged with similar themes and ideas. I'm actually going to ask my two guests to introduce themselves first of all and say who you are and where are you from? Okay, uh, my name is Mengistur Rago. I came from uh, Govan Community Project. Is to uh, you know involved with different different projects with CCA. That's why I'm facilitating a men's group with Govan Community Project. Hi, I'm Ruthlam, and my role at the Govan Community Project is the coordinator for our community groups. Now, I believe that this particular event or series of events is emerged from something some time ago at the CCA, but there's things coming up. Can you tell me a bit more about what the next stage is and how it relates to? what you've done in the past. Yeah, well, perhaps Rago could um, talk a little about the past project that GCP has done with um, the CCA, and then I can talk a little bit about the Human Relay project that we intend to start next year. Yeah, as Earl said, that uh, I used to involve uh, with one herbal project at the CCA here, and actually uh, GCP men's group and uh, some other people from women's group as well, and we were involving in uh, different, uh, like... Uh, uh, doing some activities and doing researching and uh, doing some translating and bring our talent to show uh, for the others, to share for others. And we were doing here, uh, making some a book. You know, we, we had a good uh, experience and a good skill uh, from CCA that we got. That was nice, really. Yeah, I think just, just to add a little bit, the, the project was called Other Libraries. And from my kind of limited knowledge because I wasn't directly involved but it was looking at the the kind of the death of libraries if you like and um, libraries as public spaces and I, I guess looking at 
the bordering of public spaces and how public spaces can be either some sections of the community can be welcomed into public spaces and some can be maybe made not to feel welcome so yeah the group focused on issues around libraries can they access libraries do they do they want to what were your favorite books as Rago said it involved translation of what was it I think you translated um I think something into Amharic something yeah I find that book here at the CCA it yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that book was talking about the uh, human rights. The topic that I picked from that book is from dictatorship to democracy to the democracy. I was trying to translate that one because I, I saw a book being translated in different language. So really, I was... Uh, it wasn't in Amharic. That was yeah, the main yeah, point, I mean, wasn't it? That, that language was from Eritrea and from Ethiopia in Oromo. And, but there is no an Amharic version. I was trying to uh, translate a little bit from uh, that book. And actually, yes, during that period of time, uh, the project was called, yes, as, she, uh, as Ruth said, that uh, other libraries. At the same time, we were doing that, uh, the human library here at the same time. Yeah, it was good. Did you do that at the CCA? At the CCA, I mean, uh, during that period of time, uh, we were talking about two different things. One, our food is our medicine and human library. Everyone, everybody is a library, by, you know, in Everyone has got his own knowledge, skills, and a lot of things. So if we got a space, we can read ourselves and we can read others as well. Yeah, so I think that that was a nice kind of feed into the project because I guess we're sticking with the theme of learning, of human resources, the knowledge that is within people. Um, I guess to an extent, the, the bordering practices around institutions is still there. Varying access to NHS services up and down the UK. Um, I know in Scotland we don't we don't do don't have harsh practices if you like. It's much more understanding up here, but I know that that can certainly exist for people. And um, I guess this new piece of work um, over the next two years will be looking at how do we empower ourselves through herbs through food how do we make ourselves how do we get healthy how do we keep ourselves healthy our families yeah i think that theme of empowerment really comes through in both the project it's and it seems a a very distinctive kind of project that the cca would be involved in that idea of food as medicine i know there's a preoccupation with that within the cca the relationship between health and food and community and food is another big one as well is that kind of typical of the Govan Community Project's approach to things? Is that Are you interested in the same areas? I would say definitely community and food. I think um, as, as far as I've been involved in community work in Glasgow, certainly over the past few years, food is food and, and involved with communities that are not from Scotland particularly. Like food is the one... Other than mathematics, food is another like universal language, isn't it? So everyone can speak or communicate through the food that they prepare for other groups, visiting groups, old Scots, new Scots. Um, so, so definitely food is a focal point, yes. Food as medicine, I think, is probably more in the staff awareness. So awareness less so on our community members. We haven't really engaged in any projects of this sort before. We've looked at plants we've looked at environment place geography and how all these things can kind of tie in um, but this is a new venture for us yeah and can you tell me a little bit about what kind of things you're expecting to see come in the next couple of months i know that the nature of the project is it's very much about the participants leading so in some ways the project is the process that articulates itself and that can be quite hard but what kind of things are you going to be sort of getting up to in the next well up until sort of march time i think is one of the markers i've got of the project yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think just to, to touch on the, the participatory element to the project, participation, peer education, action research is something that GCP we feel that we do quite well and is something that is integral to the work that we do because, well, nothing about us without us. So it's it's, it's kind of like how, how can you do a, a, a genuine project that does bring about empowerment for individuals, that does bring about changes in ways of thinking, I guess, between institutions, between integration networks like ourselves and the CCA and how do we better partner and work together that involves people so in that sense the project's open-ended as you see it's it's for the people to to, to kind of figure out themselves with guidance from CCA and a, and a herbalist but it, the format it'll take is kind of looking to get around 10 participants 
from the refugee or asylum seeking community to come together and take part in workshops and each of these cohorts will last about a quarter if you like um, so March is our first end of end of quarter and we will be ending that with an event in the Glasgow Botanic Gardens where we will showcase what the group what the group will showcase what they've learned what what kind of herbs they want to put in the food there'll, there'll be I think a piece of art or an artifact that they will produce alongside this to show to the public yeah yeah um, as she uh, explained us as my colleagues explained uh, GCP by itself uh, as a, a community organization is doing its uh, GCP does uh, delivering uh, a better service for uh, everyone uh, who needed at the same time uh, GCP working with the refugees and asylum be- asylum seekers uh, helping out in different ways while we are doing our project with CCA, we were uh, doing a lot of things. Like um, at the end of the project, we were no, we had the food mm. uh, project. Like uh, the participants are from different countries, different backgrounds. They've got their own uh, traditional foods, and this means when we are uh, doing our party here at the CCA, all participants brought their own traditional foods together. Yeah. The same herbs were used for this, for different things in different countries and they were used at different times of the year as well. And I think this project, um, I mentioned that it'll be kind of quarterly um, cohorts and that'll again also reflect seasonal produce. And yeah, there'll be lots of learning around that and what what's seasonal to eat in Scotland because yeah, there's lots of things that you can't eat here when you come. You can't grow cassava. How did, how did you get involved, first of all, with, with the Govan Community Project and then how do you get people involved in these projects? I just arrived in May 2015 in Glasgow and uh, one of my flatmates, uh, he'd been here maybe three or four months uh, before me, then I know nothing about Glasgow. I know nothing about Europe. I, I, you know, I was thinking I got lost maybe. Then, honestly speaking, uh, one day I uh, out for a shopping somewhere. When I'm coming back, uh, I lost. I got lost. Can't find your way. I can't. Yeah, I can't find yeah my uh, place. Then I asked the corner shops and my I showed my postcode, my address. Oh, you are here. Just two minutes walk. Okay, I thank God then back to flat. My flatmate, uh, he's from Yemeni, he was there, and he used to be service user with Govan Community Project, and I told him that we were understanding each other uh, in like body language and uh, a little bit English. Then we got like, you know, understand each other. Then I told him that I was getting, I was getting uh, lost or something like that. And he took me to the Govan Community Project. At the same time, the Govan Community Project was giving a very, very good service for everyone. Uh, I find that Govan Community Project is very useful, and uh, I personally say that Govan Community Project is my place. Yeah. Well. Then, yeah, I start uh, or I keeping uh, going and coming with Govan Community Project. At the same time, they helping me to start uh, in English, the ESOL class with Govan uh, Community Flat. Uh, then they uh, helped me to apply for the colleges and uh, yeah uh, I studied ESOL with the college and uh, Govan Community Project to uh, find some other opportunity uh, to get me to the college and going, getting the course the CSS course then again they yeah helped me in different ways when I get my status uh, and my English was a little bit uh, better than others and uh, they was telling me that you can uh, do some translation and interpreting to help uh, other people because I speak three different languages from my country. It was very helpful for others as well. Then I try my best and uh, start yeah, uh, working with Govan Community Project. I can say that uh, Govan Community Project was my place, my ground level starting uh, my life here in Glasgow. Mm. I'm stick with Govan Community Project. I'm still there. I'm going with it. But now, and, and now you're leading. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, then, after that, yeah, it's a long time uh, story. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't forget anything. In May 2015, mm-hmm. uh, I was an asylum seeker. In September, I'm a refugee. Then, in October, I start 
an interpreting, like a freelance interpreting job with voiceover, which is based in uh, GCP. At the same time, uh, I was involving, not involving actually, we initiated the men's group mm. in 2015, about October or something like that. Then uh, there was uh, different people who uh, facilitate and run that group. Finally, uh, those people are happy to pass or to give me this opportunity. And uh, now I get paid for that. Um, that's my job as well. Yeah. I'm working with government community project, facilitating a um, men's group, interpreting. Sometimes I'm doing some uh, assisting with my colleagues at the office, that's all. It's a really nice example, I think, of the full journey from kind of arriving in Glasgow and then going through the process. But thankfully for you, Rago, was a very short time. Yeah, what we do is we, we're basically a reception charity. Govan is the initial accommodation area for asylum seekers when they first come to Glasgow. So you're placing Govan straight away. So we provide help and support with any financial or housing issues that people may have. We provide kind of signposting to any other organisations, English classes, community groups. As Rago said, we have a like gender, gender only female and male groups. We have a homework club. So we do, it's, it's a two pronged approach, if you like, where we offer um, high quality advice and advocacy for community development focused activities, art, music, the like. And I guess that's where the CCA project comes in. It's about providing, I guess, an alternative form of education. There's a really good guy that talks about critical education and I guess how to, how you realise your situation called Paulo Freire. And we use a lot of his teachings and words to inform our practice and be that advice and advocacy or the other side. It's very much about self-realisation, self-actualisation, looking at your position and say, how do you relate to people in Scotland? How do they relate to you? It's what wonderful stuff. Um, I, I would notice that, that we're broadcasting on Sunny Govern FM at the moment, so you're in the area that people are listening to this. Yeah. How, how do people connect with you? Do you? Are you online or is there other ways of connecting with you? Yeah, yeah, we're online. Our website's www.governcommunityproject.org.uk. We are on Twitter as Govan Community Project, Facebook as Govan CP, but also there's a lot of, if you go on the website, you'll see all the staff's kind of emails mm-hmm. if anyone wanted to get in touch. We have some volunteering opportunities. We're always looking for kind donations or even just if members of the community want to get in touch because they have an idea for an integration activity and we'd love to hear from anyone yeah wonderful stuff well thank you so much to both of you for taking the time today and thank you good luck in the new year cheers and my next guest today is another familiar face around the building somebody who has been spoken about actually since the very first podcast paul smith from so Omega. welcome paul it's lovely to have you here hi and there's hey. quite a lot to, to ask you about because Saramago has been... How long have you been in the building for now? Uh, we've been here since 2011. And you came in and you made a pitch to Francis, I believe, and he was very happy. What is the philosophy of the Saramago bar? Because that's something that Francis McKee was very enthusiastic about when he was talking about it all those months ago. I'm not sure we have a specific philosophy, but we are, we're interested in food and we're... Uh, I've always kind of had a kind of connection with uh, music and the music community and the art community where they overlap. But uh, I, I guess we're, we're trying to do the right thing as well as a business. Now, I believe that your food is all vegetarian. Is that right? It is all vegan. It's all animal free. The food, the kitchen is. On the bar, we're not completely. We, 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 have, we, we serve cow's milk with coffee. I, I, we, we, have, we have a couple wines that aren't vegan, and we have, I think, maybe one or two of the beers aren't vegan. But in the kitchen, everything's 100% vegan. And what was it that inspired that when you came in? Because you've always been a vegan cafe. Yeah, for me, I have lived in Glasgow since the late 90s, and I always worked in vegan establishments. So for me, it was just a kind of continuation of, of that. And I think it's important uh, more and more so these days. So that's, it's, it's but I, you know, if you're going to uh, start a business, you got to start a business with what you know, right? And uh, that's what I've been involved with. Yeah. And you've got the two spaces here. There's upstairs and downstairs. Yeah, I think uh, downstairs is kind of uh, just kind of grown into more being, uh, it has characteristics of a restaurant, but I don't think that was ever our intention. At the beginning, uh, we kind of viewed downstairs as being a pretty hard space to work with because it's so big. And the idea of filling it seemed uh, a little bit intimidating. But I guess we, maybe we didn't have enough confidence in ourselves in terms of food. So we, we, we viewed it as a space that we could fill, fill with drinkers. We didn't 
it is a space we can fill with people who want to eat the food that we made. And as it's turned out, the, uh, it, it, the concentration downstairs is definitely more on food. And upstairs, of course, it's a rather nice bar, especially of an evening, sort of more intimate space, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's. A, I, I think the actual space in there is like is is. Uh, it's great. I've always liked the bar upstairs. Before I worked here, I always liked that bar. And the terrace is great. Yeah, it's got a really good kind of European feel to it. And you've used that for quite a lot of different things over the years because you've had jumble sales even. Yeah, Sadie, who works in the bar, runs a jumble sale up there and uh, they sell secondhand everything. Records, clothes. You've also had a games night up there as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We did the gaming afternoon, which might, which might return at some point. Yeah. So it's quite a versatile space and there's lots of different things, but perhaps the main thing outside of the food and drink you're known for is, is the gigs that come on here. Maybe, yep, yep. We just try our best. We just try our best and uh, try to facilitate people put on shows, you know, and, and use the spaces where uh, when we like the bands or where we, we, where if the, we don't actually have to like the bands uh, in, a, in a kind of musical sonic level it, it, sometimes we put on bands because we like the people and that's a collaboration as well which very much sits in with the CCA's idea you work with other promoters to bring bands yeah yeah so some things yeah so we work with uh, we work with a variety of um, other promoters and then the, some stuff we bring in ourselves and then some stuff uh, we, I guess we're kind of bringing in but but it, it's more DIY kind of show so we're just facilitating someone else coming in and, and doing a show and we'll just help them what have you got coming up soon anything that you'd particularly point out and say here's a band that's coming up come and see them uh, you know what there's a there's a there's a show that's going to get announced shortly which is the sound of yell which is a musician on the in the music community called stevie jones he used to play in a hombre tracciado and uh, his record's coming out on chemical underground and there'll be uh, i think that show's going to be amazing there's a lot of different people involved in his band well and that's a band as well who have inspired a lot of people over the years as well yes and also in march we have spinning coin returning and that was within is with a new album on domino and rob Cherm, the artist He's doing the artwork for it. There's quite a few bands that come back a few times because I noticed uh, Ottoboke Beaver. Yes, they're they're coming back, aren't they? Yeah, uh, they were. I mean, they were here last year. That band, they they all had jobs, so they'd come over to Britain once a year on their holidays, and they would just, you know, they play ten shows. But I had this feeling that they are uh, they've quit their jobs. Uh, but they do well, you know, their shows that people want to see that band. But it's interesting that they come back here as well. Yep. Shown and Knife were here a few times as well. Yes. And I think that's they supported Shown and yes. Knife the first time they were here. They did. They keep coming back. What is it about the CCA, do you think, that makes it attractive to bands for repeat visits? That's an interesting question. They clearly like it. I think there's a certain kind of, um, the, I mean, those the people who bring in uh, Otoboki Beaver are from London. They're, some, they're DIY promoters and they have their own label they're called damnably and uh, it's just we kind of worked with them that, so that they're able to from london put on the whole show via us and 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 they don't even live here right so they don't get outside promoters i mean it's essentially them doing it we just do a lot of the communication and posters and 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 all the local work for them so that they're able to do it from london and that's why that keeps happening you also have club nights yes more recently yeah is that something you promote yourself or have you got someone else that you work with on that? Uh, so the club nights that happen right now, I mean, I'd say they're irregular kind of club nights. So one of them is pear-shaped and that's, again, Sadie who does the jumbo sale. And it's just something that she wanted to do and she asked us if she could do it and we just worked out a way of doing it for her. And um, I mean, like a lot of these things, people are doing these things because they love because they love what they're doing, you know that the the commercial aspect isn't as strong as the uh, as the aspect of doing it just because they want something to happen and they love it, and, and and that I think runs back to the thing with the bands. And then the other the, the other night we have is is uh, Angie Devine's night, which is happening more often. I mean that that also is a regular, but it looks like it's going to start becoming more regular. I mean he had a connection. I'm sure he used to DJ at the CCA like years ago well it's that connection i think to the building itself that's very yeah important. you're kind of at the heart of things in many ways yeah and and the veganism of course goes back to the early days of the third eye center it does does i mean yeah that's uh, it's another interesting connection yeah is it quite important as well you've, met, you've mentioned staff members coming up with ideas is that something that's part of your ethos that you encourage people to yeah i mean it's totally i mean if people want to do things and uh it's not dangerous then we'll generally want to give it a try you know 
And, you know, spaces can be used in different ways. What, I mean, it's really interesting that space in the cafe because very much does look like a restaurant during the day. And a lot of people will come in and they can't imagine it being used as any other space. But when, when Divine is on downstairs, I mean, it looks completely different. It, 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 you'd never think it was had been a restaurant six hours previously. And when we've put on gigs downstairs, it's the same. You know, it, 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 it really works in different ways. But, yeah. Because you're capable of making it into a, a very intimate space downstairs, I know. Yeah. You cover the area with these wonderful sheets there yeah you've got there so yeah it becomes quite magical yeah that's one of the gags to kind of change your perception of where you are and quite often the events that come into the building the film festivals they, they will have an event that's that's in your space yeah sometimes yeah and, and that seems to be another part of how you're engaging with what the programming is about we're always interested with in what's going on and and some things are are you know it's it's good to kind of link in with some kind of event or something. Mm. Yeah. Now, am I right in thinking as well that you're also in charge of the doublet? Is that correct? Yes, myself and Claire. Mm-hmm. So Claire, Claire's Claire's my business partner, and um, she's involved in Saramago and and the both of us and uh, managed to get hold of the doublet. And the sort of similar things happen there because that was part of the Great Western Festival as well. Yeah, There's events on there. So. Yep. So yeah, we. I mean, we've like um, a double. I, I, I don't think I, I don't perceive the double as being a venue, and I don't think anyone would ever want it to be. But the upstairs lounge bar has a very particular kind of feel to it, and it also has uh, the sound upstairs is amazing. Like the the natural sound is incredible, and I, I think it's because there's like a, there's a wee curve in the wall, oak paneling that kind of really old oak paneling around a lot of the walls. And it just makes a really amazing sound. So it really works well for certain kind of quiet kind of performances. So every now and again, we do that there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, like we'll do maybe a couple of months tops. Yeah. One of the things about in the way that you collaborate with other people and bringing things in, I've got a list here of the events that are on in the next couple of months, starting uh-huh. with Dread Zone, Yacht, Shards, Kindness, Otoboka Beaver, who we mentioned before, Spinning uh-huh. Point, who you mentioned, uh-huh. The Lovely Eggs, uh, uh-huh. Baby Babushka, which is, that's, uh-huh. is that a Kate Bush tribute? I it is, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of those are, are other uh, promoters that we work with bringing them in. 432 is 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 bringing on the, the Baby Bushka, who are, yeah, they are, they are a tribute, yeah, but in a cool way. And then PCL are putting on some of those bands too, and also Synergy concerts. Mm. What I would say is it's diverse. It is we very diverse, diverse, yeah. Bands. Yeah, yeah, which is great, right? Mm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, is, is there any kind of music that you're particularly enthusiastic about getting through the doors? Because I know going around the upstairs bar, there's a lot of posters up on the walls that really speak to the history of the bands that you've put on. Is, is there any great memories that you have from those? That's a big question, I think. But um, I like all music. I, I'm open to all music. I mean, I, I guess there, there, if you look at it, there is a certain kind of, there is a certain characteristic that maybe runs through it, but I don't think that's much more of it being slightly kind of different. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's too big of a question for me. I, I mean, I do genuinely like all music pretty much. You know, I mean, there's some music I don't like, but on the other hand, like if I see a band and I don't like them, musically speaking, and then I meet them and I end up liking them as people, generally I start liking their music too. So, do you see what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's something about, I think, the Glasgow music scene is that you do get to meet people all the time. Yes. Quite quite often you will find members of Tukvuvu, for example, I know, drinking in the bar. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And then there's that connection, of course, in Glasgow between the music and the art scenes as well, which which suits CCA rather well, I think. I, th- I think it really suits the CCA. Okay, so I think the last thing to say is that we can find out about the bands that you're putting on. It's on the CCA website, isn't it? Yep. So yep. I think that's well worth checking out for all of those bands. Yeah, I think it's certainly worth coming into Saramago and going upstairs and checking out the posters on the wall to get a bit of that history. And thank you very much for taking the time today. You're very welcome. Cool. Yeah, take thank care. You. And for my final guests on the episode today, I'm going quite technical. We're doing a Skype call. I believe we're going to Canada with a Skype call. But I have with me both members of Bambitual. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to just dive in and ask you, first of all, just to introduce yourselves, if that's okay. Sure. Um, I'm Alexis. <laughs> and I'm Charlene. And uh, I guess just a bit of a background about us. We've, uh, we both come from film and video backgrounds, and we've been working collaboratively um, together for over 10 years now. Yeah. And can I ask just what, what is bringing you both to the CCA? 
Um, we have been working on a project for uh, the last five years um, about these uh, medieval animal trials. And um, we have been working quite closely over the last two and a bit years with um, Glasgow-based sound designer and musician uh, called Richie Carey. So that's sort of how we kind of started basing ourselves a little bit around Glasgow in a way. And uh, shouting out to Canada next of all, how did you come to work together? What was it that you found that inspired you to work as a team? Sissy? We, yeah, well, we we met while we were doing our, um, our master's in Toronto at a university called York University. Um, and, I mean, at the time, the university was on strike. And so... To, both of us were part of the union that was on strike, so we went to, I guess we went to the picket line, I guess, a few few days a week. And so you kind of get close to somebody when you're hanging out with them and walking in a circle for many hours a day. But uh, we also, at that point, realized that we had a lot of similar interests um, and so kind of... Yeah, just kind of developed like a chatting relationship and then eventually just pitched something together. And it was it's kind of been constant since then, and that was... 2008, 2009, like the end of 2008, early 2009. And just have been making work ever since, even after school, obviously. And I think it's a very fascinating topic that you're engaging with, the, the trials of animals. Can you tell me, first of all, how did you get interested in that? And, well, I think there's so much to say about it. I'm just going to let you talk for a bit, if that's okay. I guess our work over the years has kind of um, been looking at um, either kind of strange or and or mundane uh, kind of nationalist narratives. And so um, about five years ago or so, we were actually doing a project um, about these military mules in Canada. So Canada's main contribution to World War II was actually people that were called mule skinners, um, which were people that were basically charged with the task of shipping mules between places in North America and places in uh, South Asia and the Middle East. And we were doing a bunch of research in this military archive, uh, this very like kind of dingy basement of a military archive in Canada, delving into this um, kind of strange and seemingly sort of mundane war history. And then one of us came across an article about these animal trials. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, I think it was maybe in Cabinet Magazine or something. And we shared it together. And we both kind of thought like, oh, wow, this is something that brings kind of so much of our projects together, we should maybe do something about it. Because um, before that, we had done projects about immigration policy and about, yeah, Canadian uh, like language systems and sort of Canadian nationalism. And these sort of animal trials seem to be both quite uh, mundane as they sort of took uh, the same form as human trials, but then also obviously quite sort of fantastical and strange because they're with animals. So yeah, we kind of became obsessed with it. And that was <laughs> like five years ago or so yeah and I think with with a lot of our work too the the thing that we that interests us like Alexis was saying is the mundane like the seemingly mundaneness of things but then also towing the line of the spectacular and we often I guess this mostly comes out with narrative and aesthetics is how to how to bridge both without like over being over fantastic about something and being well, not to be like too under understated about it. Uh, that's, that's an interesting challenge, especially when you're dealing with a history like this one, which can be so spectacular. Um, so how to try to tone it down a bit, but also make it obviously interesting to an audience to to watch. Um, and we kind of, I guess, so when we came up with an idea to do something about it, we thought it would be we wanted it to be something that was quite big. And so we started applying for funding, yeah, probably in 2013, almost, or 2014. And we've just now sort of been uh, reached the level of being able to finish the main body of work, which was this film, and that Richie Carey did the score for. Great. So one of the things I find fascinating about this, because it's so alien, I think, to the way we understand both the justice system and also the relationship of animals to humans and how we treat them. When did this stuff happen? Is it quite a while ago now? We don't have any 20th century examples of pigs being put in trial, do we at all? Um, well, actually, it's funny, since we started working on this project, uh, people send us articles all the time about <laughs> contemporary examples. I swear we get one, like, at least once a month. Um, but they start, But they started... Um, so the the there's basically one historian who has collected the 
the majority of the research on these animal trials, and he, and his name is E.P. Evans, and he begins the trials, quote unquote, like in about 800, uh, around like 850. And then the last documented trial that he um, documented was, I think, in the late 1800s. Um, but then we see crossover um, into, you know, the industrial period and into today with, you know, like, there's countless examples of, like, in, in Canada, there's uh, laws against bulldogs, for example, um, or pit bulls, sorry. Uh, so at least in Toronto. So, like, people for a long time were, like, if their dog had bit another dog, um, the, the um, city would make them put the dog down. You know, and we use an example, this, like, very, very famous example um, in, the, in our film about uh, Topsy, which is an elephant um, in the early 1900s in the U.S., a circus elephant, who basically, like, lashed out against its owner and then was made a public spectacle of. So they executed the, the, the elephant in front of the kind of the city, sort of almost as part of the circus. Um, so I guess you could say that these trials still happen in, in certain ways. It's, it's just, I guess, the court of law has been removed in some part. And the other thing that you said that you were looking at migration and sort of othering of people, does that come into this work as well? Do you, do you examine it as a part of a, a way of defining in and out groups almost and how it relates to, say, racism or xenophobia? I mean, not, not, not so specifically, but there are tones of it there because... I guess throughout, like one of the things that interested us as well in doing the research and reading countless articles around this stuff is that the the target of the justice system is often moving, and so at one it just depends on which point of history you're looking at. So at one point, you know, it would have been like women or Catholics or Muslims or homosexuals or like anyone that didn't fit within the proper ideal of what justice looks like, and so obviously that connects to um, all these these topics around xenophobia and all that, but we don't say it. It's not so overly stated, but it's definitely through lines within the film of that. When do you actually get to the CCA? Because you're coming here to do research, basically, or are you presenting work as well while you're here? Um, so I guess we haven't figured it all out um, exactly, but we finished. We ended up finishing the film um, and we premiered it um, as part of an exhibition in Toronto at Mercer Union Gallery. And now um, the show is going to go to a gallery in Seattle called the Henry Art Gallery. And we're creating like a kind of new body of work around um, the film and around the research. So what we're focusing on is um, the, the, the sort of idea for that um, installation is that we're. So I spoke about this um, this historian called EP. Evans, um, and he was an American historian. He died in the 1920s, I think. Um, uh, yeah, around then, yeah. But he wrote this book at the in 1906 called The Criminal Prosecution and Capital Punishment of Animals, and that's where he outlines the history of this, these animal trials. But he's a very li little-known uh, historian, actually, and this is, for as fantastical and as kind of wild as this history, even for this, he's not that well-known. Like, people, he's the per first person that people cite if they were they're going to look at this but you know the majority it's not like a common sense that that these trials happen so we had this idea to kind of reimagine what his kind of voice might do to this history and therefore to kind of reconstruct his personal archive um, and his wife was also a writer who was also really interested in kind of undermining like Christian ideology and theology as they both were I think and so we were we yeah, I guess what we'll do here is kind of uh, this research into what we can imagine might have been in their personal archive, and that will be what we display alongside our film that uh, will be part of this show. You said earlier that you were a bit concerned about uh, the spectacle of it, because the thing in itself, the study of animals being put on trial, is quite spectacular. H how do you approach dampening that down? Is there any particular strategies you've used to do that? Yeah, we, we don't really show... We don't show... We barely show any animals in the film, if at all. There's only one scene where we have something. I won't say what. <laughs> um, but yeah, we really try to not overshow things with that. And so a lot of it is, I don't want to say speculation, but there is a bit of, of that where the audience is left to imagine what these things might be based on the narrative itself and not showing too much stuff. I guess that, that was yeah, one strategy. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like not too much in kind of, in terms of like a documentary sort of aesthetic or something. But then what we did make spectacular is the sound or what Richie 
uh, made spectacular as the sound. Um, and the sound is quite huge um, and quite whimsical and fantastical. I think that paired with these really sort of subtle image imagery makes for a work that instead of instead of sort of making it fantastical, it it puts the sort of onus back on the audience to to say like, is this uh, you know to kind of complicate. So it, the the sort of juxtaposition between the sound and the image makes that. I think maybe does the work of sort of dampening it a bit. And the and also just to say that the way we worked with Richie on this film, um, it was like the soundtrack is pretty like, I guess generally when we think about filmmaking, it's often like images and then sound is almost like an additional component. But with this, it felt very connected uh, because the three of us had sat down for a really long time and also like over, I guess over a year, almost weekly, tried to figure out how sound and image could connect. And oftentimes sound would come first and then sometimes image would come first. So it really worked in tandem. It wasn't like one came before the other um, and one was created before the other. So it was really like close working, which I think allowed for this, all these things to come through. It's also very interesting to be using art as a way of engaging with a, a little bit of a lost history, I think. Is that something that goes through all of your work, that you're interested in the way art can interact with audiences or potential audiences to engage with stuff that is kind of shoved down the back of the sofa, if you like, historically speaking? I think in yeah. some ways. Yeah. <laughs> in some ways, yeah. We, we are kind of, you know, um, just kind of also just nerdily interested in archives and, yeah, I guess maybe the stuff that doesn't, that doesn't maybe yeah as you say shove down the back of the sofa just in terms of our own personal interests we sort of gravitate tend to gravitate towards things that you know that are like state documents that you know as Charlene was saying earlier earlier kind of seem mundane at first but then if you sort of tease apart what those documents do or what they are what they say then they actually kind of mean quite a lot in terms of culture and um, politics and ideology uh, so I guess that's it's sort of like a personal interest in that way. And then the art stuff is just kind of fun, I guess. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. How would you say it? I mean, it is yeah. fun. I feel like we think in images and sound, and so <laughs> that's our output. <laughs> well, it's an amazing project, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Just one last thing. Is there anywhere people can go and look at your work online? Do you have a website or anything like that? Um, yeah, we have a website that's bambitchell.com, which is B-A-M-B. I-T-C-H-E-L-L dot com. And yeah, you can, I guess people can message us at our email, which is contact at bambitchell.com. Um, and hopefully we will, um, I guess we haven't worked out any of the details of our residency yet, but um, we're hoping that maybe we can do a screening or something of this work while we're in residence in January. That's great. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to that screening, hopefully. Thank you again. <laughs> cool. Thanks for having us. Thanks to thank Julie and Rowan for making this all possible, Sunny Govern FM for broadcasting us, and of course our guest, Viviana, Paul, Bam Bitchell and the Govern Community Project for taking the time to talk. It's really a fragment of the amount of events that happen within the CCA, and it's worth checking out the website to find out what is happening from day to day. I've been Gareth K. Vile. That was the January podcast for the CCA, and I'll be back in 30 days or so with more music, film and art from the CCA and beyond.